Stop asking your buyers to do all the work of scheduling a meeting for you using calendar links. Chronologic AI predicts guests' availability with over 80% accuracy, so you can improve your buyer's experience by allowing them to just click accept on a meeting invite. Chronologic does the work of scheduling the meeting for everyone. Visit chronologic.com forward slash making fun of marketing for your free two-week trial. All the things that can be measured appropriately, content syndication, lead gen, all these transactional digital activities, events even, have clear data that they suck and the ROI is bad <laughs> and nobody does anything with it. And meanwhile, they kill the podcast and LinkedIn because they can't measure it while they keep running and scaling shit they can measure that isn't working. I'm Scott Logan, and we're Making Fun of Marketing. Welcome, everyone, to Making Fun of Marketing podcast, where we take a deeper look into the things B2B marketers and sales teams do that seem ridiculous, but we still end up doing them anyway. And many things that we do that we just don't even realize are crazy in the first place, and we're still doing them anyway. So we have the perfect guest with us today, Chris Walker, CEO and founder of Refine Labs who's actually my favorite thought leader when it comes to helping us evolve our best practices and becoming better demand generation, demand creation marketers. So welcome, Chris. Scott, super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. And let's do it. We're going to actually flip things around and start with our punchline segment. So I'm going to give you a line and then you go ahead and finish it. All right. First one, MQLs are poorly, poorly defined. Yep. If you said awesome, we would just end the broadcast right here. SDRs are? The wrong type of person to sell to an executive and build trust. I'm now doubting X types of campaigns because? Everything on paid search except for branded search because the channel gets more expensive and conversion rates continue to go down. And when you measure it against pipeline and revenue instead of MQLs, oftentimes it doesn't make sense to even buy non-branded terms. There you go. You want to own that first page and a lot of times you get bitted against. So yeah, definitely agree with you there. During my LinkedIn videos on LinkedIn, I'm looking at what? A teleprompter with a screen of typically hundreds of people attending a live Zoom event. That's fantastic. Where I want to start is the whole MQL thing. That's why I had that as a first punchline line. Eventually the SDR is just get mad at it because the scoring is inaccurate on a handful of leads and then it deteriorates over time and all this months of work on the front end get blown up. So what is a better way to maybe measure what you're driving to come into the pipeline? Over time, the definition of an MQL has continued to expand and get less strict in pursuit of volume and scale. In the age of predictable revenue, where like SDRs get leads and book meetings for sales reps in the late 2000s, it was just, we needed someone's contact information. And as of five, seven years ago, that assumption is no longer true. We have contact databases like Zoom Info and the millions of other ones that provide high quality contact information. We don't need someone to download a piece of gated content or another reason to get that information in order for our sales team to go outbound. And then if you look at the sales performance metrics underneath it, for a majority of these MQL sources, the sales productivity and sales velocity are absolutely terrible. 
if looked at that way, would indicate that we should stop doing this. This is a waste of our sales team's time, which is our most expensive, important resource. And so the solution is to either redefine the MQL or get rid of the MQL, however you want to look at it. Our belief here is that the only thing that should be passed to sales from marketing is a ICP qualified buyer that says, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about buying. And in that case, if they did that, like for us, for instance, if they come to our forum and say, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about working together, it checks that they're ICP qualified at an account, and then it gives them a calendar to book with the appropriate rep. And then we automatically get the meeting booked and it goes directly to a sales rep, not through an SDR for Bant. And we can automatically consider that an SQL instead. And then we just don't have an MQL at our company. And that aligned the idea that the definition of MQL and SQL become the same would be a breakthrough moment for a lot of revenue teams because it's a place where there's a significant amount of friction for no reason than trying to divide metrics between the sales and marketing team when we should be looking at it as a revenue team. There was a lot there. Three things that I want to call out. The first one is on the definition of the MQL. In my last role, I started to do this practice and get your take on it, where if there was a lead that came inbound, whether where it was from typically a source that we weren't grabbing from ZoomInfo, so we didn't have all that information up front, we'd append it. We'd look to see if it was the right title level, the right company firmographics, and then we would score it on whether or not it would be pulled into our other marketing efforts that had more pay associated to it on if they hit multiple pages on the website and had at least two engagements with other campaigns. And then we would go ahead and decide to spend money on it. And then that was just literally four checkboxes, person, company, website, engagement. And then that was kind of like an evergreen metric that just stayed because we knew there was some awareness of us and they were the right person. What's your take on modifying it to be something like that? I believe that's basically a homegrown account intent driven outbound model. Whether you get it through Bambora or an ABM platform, or you build something yourself based on website de-anonymization and matching against an ICP and then trying to measure some level of quote unquote account engagement. Yeah. And I noticed that in running LinkedIn campaigns again now versus when I was spending a million plus dollars on it years ago, there's a new filter that has the intense signal of they've looked at content on this topic, which I kind of feel at first glance is a little bit more reliable because it's not the black box intent on, oh, I put this topic and it scans the internet for who traffics there. What are some other unique ways to identify that intent, such as how LinkedIn is maybe doing it more strategically? I believe that for the most part, the granularity of intent data is often not helpful. Whether it's a black box or things like that, I think that it's over-engineered. I believe that the main use case for intent data is to trigger one-to-one or sales-to-account level outbound actions, not necessarily like air cover marketing and advertising around it. I've done some small tests. And my conclusion was that the intent data group and just a cold audience performed similarly in terms of performance. So didn't see a lot of reason to continue there. It's basically glorified retargeting packaged in a really complicated thing to make it seem a lot more complicated. And then all the white noise and the stuff that messes everything up is typically all the stuff that's surfacing from the web. Like, oh, there was a blog that mentioned ABM 
and some person at IBM visited there, we should cold call IBM now because they definitely want to buy. And I think that causes a lot of false positives and a lot of people to not rely on intent data because again, in pursuit of scale, you reduce quality, whether it's an MQL or you're going to call it an MQA. As companies move to scale, they end up decreasing quality, reducing conversion rates, making things very inefficient. So there's a mindset shift around how we drive growth, how that works, which is typically, it just doesn't work like the MQL waterfall machine that people have been sold for a long time. Yep. One of the reasons why I joined Chronologic was because of that, because it basically takes those super high intent buyers and just automates the sending of a tailored invite based on their inbound action. And many times our customers are just placing that first call on the AE's calendar, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to do that, what is the role of the SDR? Because SDRs love the demo request, but to your point, they may not be the best suited or aren't the best suited in many cases to take that call because you can't, as a buyer, get those detailed questions answered when that's the only thing you want to have happen. How does the SDR role evolve given that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, if you're talking like true inbound hand raiser, obviously SDRs love this. I remember back in 2016 when we were doing this and it would take an SDR like 300 or more calls to book a meeting with outbound and they would book one out of two calls from inbound hand raisers would be a meeting and they would get paid the same. Obviously, they want more of the inbound hand raisers. The reality of the situation is that this layer for inbound is no longer necessary. It's not the idea that you need a human to qualify a customer today in this day and age with all the things that you can do is totally false. We should not have an SDR involved in a deal that costs 10K and we should not have an SDR involved in a deal that we're going to make arguably less than like 25K in today's day and age if you want to have a scalable customer acquisition cost model. But if you got your top tier one accounts that pay you 150K a year and they're going to expand into million dollar customers over three years and sign annual deals... That can justify having a $100,000 SDR focus on 100 accounts and work those based on intent data. And so we basically need to reshape and re-resource our go-to-market strategy against tiers of accounts. And contrary to common belief, growing your SDR team does not grow pipeline. I'm going to take it there just because I feel really passionate about this one. The idea that we all say the word pipeline and there's been nobody out there that has defined what does pipeline mean? So every company is defining it differently, even if they define it as a stage in the process, like we booked the first meeting or we had a demo or it moved to stage two in our sales process. All of those criteria are subjective and all of those criteria are not rooted in actual sales productivity or win rates or any actual metrics. And so when you do an analysis with companies, one company will say, we created 100 million in pipe last year. And another company will say, oh, shit, we only created 20 million pipe. We must be bad. And then you actually look, and the company that did 100 million in pipe wins that pipe at 4.7%, which means they get $4.7 million off the 100. And the company that created 20 million in pipe wins 30% of that pipeline and therefore wins about 6.5 million. The company that generates 20 million in pipe thinks that they're not doing well because other people are quote unquote, generating more pipe, but they're actually being more productive. We've put forward, and even inside of your go-to-market system, like your outbound stage two opportunities might win at 5% and your declared intent hand raisers, like at contact sales might win at 35%. Yeah. And I've seen that difference before. And inside of a company, they look at it and they say, this pipeline is valued the same. Let's scale outbound, not knowing that they went outbound at 5% and inbound at 35%, which makes inbound 7x easier to scale. 
the discrepancies on pipeline, like basically companies, they were using an MQL metric and then everyone's like, oh, MQLs are bad. Let's shift the pipeline. And then they poorly define pipeline as like meeting booked or meeting sat and nothing further than that. Yeah. They artificially inflate pipeline and the same problem is created, but now you're just doing it against a meeting booked or a meeting sat instead of an MQL. It still doesn't align to sales metrics. So we proposed a new framework that uses a sales win rate metric tracked the past six months historically, must be greater than 25% for it to be considered pipeline. That would immediately force major investment decision changes and major strategy changes across the company, specifically in marketing and BDRs, just simply by changing the goal. It's a really fascinating thing. If you can think about that as an executive or leader, like the teams operate, it's not like the people inside the company are bad. Oftentimes, what I find when I consult is that the people inside of the company are great. They're just operating inside of a framework that doesn't allow them to be successful. So yeah, we really need to think about how we define and report on pipeline and what it means across the holistic go-to-market to make good, solid overall decisions. Yeah. One thing that I have been able to do at the last couple of places I've been is that it's kind of like a cover your ass moment where we won't even put it into the marketing dashboard for pipeline until it gets to like stage two or if we have to stage one, but stage one is a very clearly defined post-discovery call. Your goals are shared, but preferably stage two. Up until this point, it's always been marketing versus sales and it creates this rift especially when the commissions are balanced indifferently. The sales team thinks they show more value to the company if they are working their leads versus the ones that are quote unquote given to them. So how important is the dynamic of a shared pipeline, if at all? It's critical, but it's not enough. Just saying as a company, okay, sales and marketing, you guys are together. We created 30 million pipe last year. Now we're going to go out and create 50, go and figure it out. A lot of companies are doing it. It's not enough because you miss the underlying framework in order to make good decisions. And so that's the piece that's missing. And so you have over here, you got marketing using multi-touch, touchpoint-based attribution, which is built to prove ROI of easy-to-prove programs, not to inform strategic decisions about what to do next. So they're over here trying to get a touch point on every single deal so they can say they influence 100% regardless of the effectiveness. So instead, the recommendation is just to break it into demand capture and demand creation. And when you look at demand capture, recognizing that once an account is in market, there are a lot of different ways to capture them into pipeline and revenue. Events, partner, cold outbound, intent driven outbound, declared intent conversion on your website, low intent lead gen. Those are the core six that most companies could deploy in some fashion. And then you'd be able to see where are the best places to capture buyers that are in market that convert to revenue at the highest sales velocity and the lowest cost of acquisition. And you can just go through and it's not a sales versus marketing thing. It's how are we getting revenue? It's the team working together to say, where are we going to deploy investments that make the most sense for the highest scalability, effectiveness, and efficiency for the company? And then we have another layer, which is demand creation, which needs to be measured in a different way that most companies don't do right now, which we call hybrid attribution. And all of a sudden, you're starting to get that information about what's working for customers too. And then you recognize that sales and marketing work together on all three components, demand creation, demand capture, and demand conversion, where previously it was in serial. Marketing is supposed to create the demand and get a lead. And then sales is supposed to convert the demand into revenue. And now it just has to be a much more integrated system together based on how buyers buy today. Yeah. One thing that I've done that 
kind of helps me guide that. What do we do for strategy wise based on what the goals are? And it's like tracking the lead entrance and then seeing if they engage in other forms and how did we buy that lead? What was the cost per lead on that? And then did that audience continue down the path? And then what are the converting lead sources that actually converted someone and then tracking the influencing campaigns along the way? Like, is there a difference between having a direct mail somewhere in there or not? I've seen sometimes there's like a 10% difference on win rate and been able to align strategy based on that. When you look at different attribution metrics, how do you use those and which KPIs do you use to help define a better strategy moving forward based on what you've done historically? So you break all the things that you're doing into, are we creating demand for accounts that are not in market? Are we capturing demand for in-market accounts? Or are we trying to accelerate pipeline using pipeline marketing? Those are the three things that you're doing. Each tactic should be specific to accomplish one of those three goals, not often mixed together. And then you need to measure appropriately for all three of those things. So in demand creation, not going to get measured by touchpoint attribution. The engagement report that you get in whatever tool you're using is not going to effectively measure some of these things that typically happen in dark social scaled word of mouth, content, communities, sharing, internal things, all that stuff isn't going to be measured. We need new ways to measure that the companies don't have right now. I've proposed a very simple solution using self-reported attribution on forms and asking how'd you hear about us inside of sales conversations and that measurement method and category will continue to grow. Then you have demand capture, which you illustrated very, very good. There's a lot of different tactics that you can deploy for certain accounts when the ACV justifies it to invest money to accelerate pipeline. You wouldn't be doing those things for a 10K account. And I think that doing pipeline acceleration campaigns, even quote unquote air cover is not necessary and not cost effective for that size of deal. Yeah. And I really like how you detailed breaking out the campaign influence by stage, not only just campaign influence on closed one deals. It takes a little bit more work to get that going to report on it. But if you have an ops team or rev ops team, it's certainly attainable. And I think that would give you a much deeper insight into what's working and what's not and why to one, defend marketing spend and spend smarter. But then also, I would think it would align way better or increase your alignment to the sales leaders and the sales team in general when you provide that level of insight because you're not necessarily taking credit or taking anything away from them. You're saying these things at these moments are going to help you close more deals, hence make more money for yourself mm -hmm. because that's the goal of sales. I really like that approach. It's about selecting programs and campaigns around an actual goal. You don't get this with multi-touch attribution. Like what's the goal in multi-touch attribution? It's to get a fucking touch on the account so we can say that we got one. In these moments, it's like, we're trying to accelerate a close one deal and we're going to measure on win rates or we're trying to get an account or a set of accounts that wasn't interested in buying our stuff and hasn't been on our website for the past six months. And now those accounts are on our website and they're moving in market and they're showing intent. And now we can drive outbound cadences. We can run air cover. We do this like field event for accounts that are in market. It's just about having a purpose in your marketing. Yeah, you have to be careful for the self-fulfilled prophecies where like display ads is the worst of this. Well, we just give display ads to everything that's in pipeline or late stage pipeline. Yeah, they're going to have a huge close rate because you did that for all the deals that are about to close. Intent data is the same way. Like most of the stuff coming out of ABM platforms is 
hey, these accounts have been on your website or even these accounts have been on your pricing page. You should call them. Obviously, you're going to be more like, if you don't call them in the next four days, they're going to fill out your form on your website anyway. I interact with companies that have 50 marketers and then they use influenced revenue model with a multi-touch attribution tool. What's every team trying to do? The SEO team, the content team, the brand team, the paid team, what are they all trying to do? They're all trying to get a trackable touch on every single account that they can, which is very different than driving an account to want to buy. You get a lot of core breakdowns, especially at the departmental level. Another thing that I think is super interesting is I mentioned this before, I'm going to go in deeper into it. Like in our finance department, when we look at our books, the books are standardized. There are procedures for how we manage them. Every company does it similarly to meet the standards. When we compare public company against public company against their financials, we can look at it apples to apples. Now, when we look at our revenue data, every company does it differently. There's some companies got some Looker, Power BI, fucking dashboard pulling in segment stuff and like a million different things. And it's all custom and it's data overflow and it's not needed. Other companies are trying to do it all like, pairing attribution tools into different things like that. Like, why isn't there a standard set of metrics and a standard definition of how to measure those metrics and a standard way to actually collect and process the data so that if you had a PE firm, for instance, you invested in 200 companies, you can look at all their financials and you can see how those companies are doing. Why couldn't you be able to look at their revenue data in the same way that you do a P&L and a balance sheet and draw similar conclusions around their go-to-market performance? That is needed. There's way too much manufacturing of data and insights to prove the ROI of things versus having an objective set of data that everyone agrees to. So I'm really trying to push the industry to get somewhere close to that because it's so inconsistent and very intercompany dependent. Yeah. And the bigger the marketing department gets, the worse it gets to your point, being part of 20 person and 150 person marketing teams in my career. Everyone's trying to get theirs. Everyone's trying to save their job and cover their ass. I've even seen a situation and lived it where you miss a number and then the next quarter, everyone makes their number, but you end up wasting more money than you ever had before because more money gets spent in the marketing demand gen team to generate more leads. Then the sales team is like, or the SDR team says, well, I need to qualify more of these. So I'm just going to qualify them faster and looser. Also to hit my SLAs, I have to make it a looser qualification just to get through them the whole slush of everything. And then those get passed on to sales. But you tell sales that they miss their number, they're going to go right back to customer expansion, the deals that they were already working and spending more time on them and doing more of those best practices. And then also working their own pipeline from their own network, because those are going to close faster because of pre-existing relationships. So Everyone then hits their numbers the next quarter, and then you look six months down the road, and you just literally threw away all of that effort that was probably too low quality in the first place, and you're sitting there holding the bag, and if you've stayed throughout that whole time, maybe you don't have the numbers to show that you just wasted all that money, but when you dive into it, it's a disaster. It's a complete shit show. Yeah, just wait until you have your whole market, you got your marketing annual planning meeting, and you get presented the visible touchpoint reports that are trying to talk through where we should invest next year, which is basically just looking back at what you did last year and adding 10% budget to every single item because they have no clue what's actually working or not. Not to mention that attribution tool is not just visible, but all of them that are based on digital touchpoints significantly miss a lot of highly effective activities that are places where the budget typically gets cut 
Meanwhile, all the things that can be measured appropriately, content syndication, lead gen, all these transactional digital activities, events even, have clear data that they suck and the ROI is bad and nobody does anything with it. And meanwhile, they kill the podcast and LinkedIn because they can't measure it while they keep running and scaling shit they can measure that isn't working. It is wild. Yep, I hear you. And then numbers go down and they're like, why the hell are numbers down? I thought we cut the stuff that didn't work. It's like, no, display ads aren't the air cover. It's the content, the podcast, these things that didn't have the right attribution model to begin with that actually drove those demo request spikes that you were looking for. It's not even that results have to go down, to be clear. What I typically see is that results flatline. When your marketing department is creating the same amount of pipeline for six quarters straight, you have a problem. If you're a growth company, marketing needs to deliver more pipeline or every quarter growing, not just sitting there contributing two, $3 million in quarterly pipe every quarter. That's some of our customers start at one or two million in pipe a quarter, and now they do 30 million three years later per quarter. That's the type of growth that we're looking for. Even more so than that, not just flatlining, but in the 2020 to 2022 time, because of all of the organic market demand, low interest rates, companies were seeing pipeline growth while the marketing that they were doing and the investments they were making were totally ineffective. And then the market, the music stops on the market, results drop off a cliff, and they're out there spending a million dollars on Google ads that don't work every month. These are the scariest parts because what I've learned over the past four years of doing this, which I don't agree with, but it's what happens, is that companies come to me for a solution after demand is down after they already have a problem, when things are going wrong, and then they're calling me to come in and try and fix it, when the best time to hire me or someone like me is when things are going well and you're growing at 50% and you want to figure out how to push the needle to 75%. And people don't think about marketing that way. It's not good. We need to look at marketing as how do we keep making things that are working good and better and actually not just look at results, but start to look down at the breakdown of how are we spending the money and which ones are actually working. And the goal here, how do we acquire more customers for less money? I've banged my head against the wall and ran into brick walls trying to help the sales team get over the hump with coordination on a lot of this. I've actually seen and used companies like Refine Labs. You actually need, in many cases, a company like Refine Labs to come in and be that unbiased voice that, hey, we built the data the marketing team didn't like skew the data. And this is a truth in which we need to follow in order to improve. And getting ahead of that a little bit is huge, like you just said. But a lot of times, if you're in a situation where you just can't get the change you need, I feel like bringing someone in is extremely beneficial. And it's kind of like a gelling moment because everyone's in the battle together and not against each other. So when you do come in and run these projects, how often or how involved is the sales team when you work through these? There's a couple other things that I want to talk through real quick, and then we'll get to the sales team involvement. You mentioned unbiased voice, like a lot of our large customers that work with us is like one of the main reasons that they keep working with us three or four years into it, because we're an objective third party, not trying to fudge the data for our own personal gain. Yeah. And we look at things very differently and people see it as risk mitigation and that type of stuff, which is a massive value for a company, you know, a thousand employees or something like that. When we think about transformation, this really boils into like two different areas. And I'm just going to focus on one for now. But the two areas are like 
Are you a small startup that has four people in marketing and a couple of sales reps trying to build or go to market from the ground up more or less? Or are you a big mature company or a growth company that's doing 50 million ARR, has 40 sales reps, already spends a lot of budget on marketing and things like that? In that bucket, typically the CM, in our engagements, the CMO is actually leading organizational change management there. So we may interface with the sales leader and the CEO at times, but when it comes to actually like implementing those things, like a strong CMO gets those things done and doesn't need my help. That's who we strive to work with. Is there a lot of downstream organizational change in sales? For sure. Like if you cut 48,000 MQLs out of your model that you didn't win anyway, there is a lot of downstream implications to headcount planning, to efficiency, to workflows, to what should those people do instead. And so that stuff needs to be coordinated. Another thing to note at a big company that you should spend six to 12 months making this strategic change. Part of it is having a new data layer to make and inform good decisions, which you want to start collecting data because you can't retroactively go back and make up data that wasn't collected in the first place. You want to start collecting data. You want to implement quick wins. You want to start leading organizational change, launching new programs. And then three to six months in, you actually have three to six months of historical standardized data that help you make much better decisions. When you're talking about a mature company, doesn't need my help to figure out their ICP, doesn't need my help to figure out how to message their product. They've sold it to a thousand customers and they're doing 50 million ARR. What they need is the framework to accelerate growth. And so I prefer to work with those companies because I don't like when there's a bunch of variables outside of my control. The variables that are outside of my control that I like the least, when a 2 million ARR company doesn't have product market fit and thinks that we're going to help them and then scrutinizes the ROI in month three when they haven't sold a deal in those three months by themselves either. Just not having product marketing, product messaging and market traction is a variable that I don't like to play with. Having a like inconsistent sales performance and inconsistent marketing engine so far, like you don't get any inbounds from your website right now means it's like very immature and unproven. Or if your sales reps are losing every deal, most likely a symptom of an early stage company as well. That's awesome. In closing, I do want to ask you, who are some of the thought leaders that you turn to or you like to listen to to spark new ideas or think of things differently? To be honest, I don't spend a lot of time listening to like quote unquote thought leaders on LinkedIn or content platforms, but I do get a lot of information from a lot of smart people. And here's how I do it. One, I work directly with some of the most talented CMOs that I've ever met that are working in the industry right now. Some of our most high profile customers, I work directly with them. And I learn a ton of stuff about what they're doing, how they're thinking, how they're playing technology, what they're doing. And we learn together. So there's a really interesting sort of thing there, working directly with some of the smartest people that I've worked with. Additionally, there's a whole team at my company, 50 people that are working on like 35 B2B SaaS companies simultaneously right now that are out there tweaking and testing and finding micro innovation and getting insights and pulling data. And that becomes a really interesting feeder for insights. So instead of listening to a thought leader's opinion on LinkedIn, I'm focused on the companies where I can see their Salesforce data. Is the shit working or not? Is the data telling me these things? And I think those just give me much more reliable, much more consistent, much more forward thinking insights than listening to the person at HubSpot talking about their SEO strategy. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today, Chris. That was very insightful. I always love how you frame things and break it down and get into the weeds of the problems that we're all trying to solve and how to think about them differently and how to instigate change and evolution in what we're doing. So thank you for providing us that level of content and we hope to see you again. Let's do it. Final parting words. 
you will not drive exponential growth using incremental process and tactics. In marketing over the past 10 years, since HubSpot and marketing automation platforms have been out, we have been in an incremental iterative optimization game for the past 10 years. That game is coming to an end. You need an entirely different operating model to think through if you want to get the growth that you're looking for. The incremental, at least in the past model, is over. You can check out my podcast, the B2B Revenue Vitals podcast on Apple and Spotify. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or any other platform. My handle is ChrisWalker171. Great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you for joining us. Hopefully this was a bright spot in your day. You can go ahead and listen to more episodes at chronologic.com forward slash podcast and give us a five-star review and subscribe if you just want to hear more and get a bet. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>